But I walked into that room to help prepare with Nigel. And the very kind lady who was organising the event for Google said, you do realise you've split your pants, sir. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. Welcome, Matthew Grant here. And if you're a regular listener, you're going to recognise that voice as Robin Mertens. But you're going to need to hang in there a little bit longer to find out what that was all about and what happened next. And yes, we are back with our occasional partners chats as we invite you to listen in and Robert and I catch up on our last few weeks and what's been catching our eye. And we've been humbled to hear how many of you are joining us on these podcasts to learn about what is going on in insurance and technology around the world. We know some of you are, but not all of you. So please do keep letting us know what you like. Now, our job at Instec is to feed your curious minds and share some ideas as to how you can break free from the drudgery of fighting messy data and clunky legacy systems to make better decisions and maybe even have a bit more fun. Normal service will be resumed next week with more great guests. And if you want to find out more about how we can make your day better or just tell us you're enjoying this podcast or anything else you want to know, email hello at instec.co. You can track me down, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn. Or, of course, everything you want to know, www.instec.co. Robin, it's Friday afternoon. I think they're back playing cricket again. It's a test match. What are you doing talking to me? Well, that's a really good question. And I can't pretend it isn't. Score isn't on in the background. You know, the deciding test match of the series and the crunch ashes clash. You know, and, and on a Friday, English... You know, tea in a minute, a couple of hours, drinks. I mean, I, you know, what's not to like? I don't know why it hasn't got international appeal, this game. Well, I was tempted to give our American friends an explanation of uh, how a test match works, but we'll maybe save that for a, a podcast special or a test match special even. But let's just crack on. I'm as pleased for carbon underwriting, which is a, a really n- nice uh, business, which is partly sort of MGA-focused, managing MGA is better, part Lloyd's syndicate, They've got a, uh, some investment from the PE houses to accelerate what they're doing. I think that's a, a vindication of a model which is part innovative and part deeply embedded in the old world. And it's, you know, to your point, it's not always the most exciting area of innovation, but they're kind of figuring out the problems the industry wants solved. Often they've got people who come from an insurance background, they get some clients and get some revenue, and then they go out and raise some money. So we've seen that with people like Send, HX... Uh, there's a whole category of companies coming into that stage. What's been sort of the most interesting area for you in the last couple of weeks in the broader innovation area? I think a big one for us, taking up a good deal of time, which I like, is the whole question of ecosystems. I don't mean ecosystems. I know it's an overused word, but partner finding. And I think when we started, we did a lot of work trying to find early stage businesses investments. Uh, I think we've done a lot of work and still do trying to find scale-up businesses, their capacity. I think if you look at what we're doing now, what we're being asked to do, then the focus of the attention has moved towards tech companies, finding other tech companies to play with, to play nicely with. That works in the admin systems area particularly well. So all the policy admin system providers are all working on ecosystem models, all looking for services that they don't provide themselves that they can plug in there's very defined claims ecosystem play these days claims ecosystems has huge levels of interdependency between the various services and a lot of work's gone into ensuring that a smooth and smart 
conjoining of the various dependent parts of the claims community, which I really like. And then the search, you know, which will never go away is for good sources of data um, to feed into ecosystems. Are there new data systems, new data data providers that you've seen? Yeah, just come down a minute, but that whole area of ecosystems and platforms is, I find it really fascinating because I think everyone wins. I mean, if you're providing data through like a large policy administration platform as a data provider, you get much better access to your market. You don't have to go and convince someone to use a new system or you know, teach them how to integrate your API. The platform provider benefits because as you said, they're getting a richer set of data and people can go through multiple channels. So insurers benefit, of course, because it's much easier for them to access the information. I mean, an example of you know, someone we've been talking to recently is Overstone with Harko van der Nova, who started this up and had a background in art before that he was actually was in banking and so he came from banking into the art world built a tool to be able to assess asset value for those investing in arts institutions investing in art and then realized that insurers had an application for it and what's really interesting about that is for the especially the more innovative insurers who are looking for as you said new sources of data to provide new ways of assessing risk yeah, they they can access something that's already been validated externally. You can get the data, and then you can start creating, you know, potentially some new alternative ways to underwrite fine art species, they call it, in London, that might even compete with some of the more established players. So there's a lot of appetite there for people that have got data that may not have previously been selling into insurance. CGG is another one, big French company, has done a lot of work in, in various different areas of energy and climate, great sources of data, now looking to see how they can deploy it across insurers. And of course, Kroll have done something similar where they've been going out and uh, and looking at the revaluation or how to determine the valuation of rebuild costs for properties. So I think what we're seeing is a combination of new data sources, not always startups, sometimes startups, sometimes established companies. And again, everyone wins because the data has already been proven and you can build into the system. I think we're going to see a lot more of that sort of collaboration and uh, yeah, one plus one equals something bigger than three. The other one I'd really like to talk about is Aurora. Aurora is a newcomer in the sense that it's just launched. The technology has been in development for several years. It's the best of the new SME platforms I've seen. SME has been long talked about uh, as the next natural stopping point for the increasing levels of digitization that have gone on in retail. They've never really seeped out into the commercial world at all. And the whole community is, I think, interested in finding smarter ways of underwriting this and and perhaps some ways to disrupt the existing distribution chain. This is the most complex, best thought out technology I've seen. It's up and running. He's got a fantastic array of capacity providers to back it. He's got Munich Re, uh, AXA, partnerships with WDW, Swiss Re. Uh, it, It feels and looks good to me. And I think it'll be a welcome addition to the SME platform space. I'm incredibly proud of the carbon report that we've just put out, which is a sort of beginner's guide to carbon offsetting uh, and carbon neutrality, written by uh, Alice Medley, who's our senior researcher. Uh, Some people just have a gift for writing about complex issues and making them simpler. That was something that needed to be written about. We've helped a lot of people uh, understand that space a bit better and the importance of it and the importance of the role that the insurance industry has to play. 
that's proper education. Yeah, and, and of course that whole space carbon, I mean, probably more of the E for the environmental of the ESG space is a lot going on there. I mean, and it also, it, it generates a lot of different views on that. So there are people that believe that carbon credits are the ultimate evil because because companies can, you know, some people's view get away with not reducing their carbon. I mean, the reality is it just creates some space to be able to go and do that. It's fascinating learning about, you know, some of the challenges you might be able to invest in forestry to do your carbon offsets but then what happens if the trees burn down and of course there's fraud entering into that space as well but yeah Ali did a great job she also Robin you know you and I think we do reasonably well when we post something on LinkedIn and write an article but Ali has basically she's way ahead I think she got something like 35,000 engagements with her, her LinkedIn article and some really good discussions going back and forward in the comment and also for those that don't like reading 60 page reports which i guess robin includes you and i thank you ali for making that a little bit shorter so that robin and i could read it and absorb it and uh, and learn about it so uh, there's a six minute podcast version from last week and there's also the report you can download from the website and and robin i did want to come back actually just you mentioned the sme space we had ed mcgough from join insurance in the office this week and really interesting organization that it's basically came out of uh, Blackboard, which is an AIG-sponsored initiative. And one of the things he was pointing out was how, as they looked at what brokers want to do when they're providing submissions into MGAs, and this is a question I've always sort of tried to understand, is if you're building an, S, an MGA or even an insurance company, how do you make it easy for the brokers to be able to get enter information? As you can understand, brokers don't want to have multiple portals to enter data. They actually don't even particularly want one single portal, which we could also debate about. But the reality is, you know, what they found at Join was underwriters just want to send emails. And that's more like the Victorian equivalent of sending a postcard saying, I'm here. And, and so they built a tool that extracts data from emails. Send has done the same, send technologies. And I, you've got your phrase about the digital lipstick on the pig. I just wonder if should we be allowing is that okay these days? We have to accept that's just the reality, and and you know we're not we're never going to come up with a totally new technology solution. Or are you still fighting that battle to get things you know sorted out right at the origins? It's very much the, the same issue that you just identified in the carbon economy space. You know, are carbon voluntary carbon credits, you know, the great evil, or do they because they discourage investment? This is exactly the same issue. The easier you make it for people not to do what they really need to do, which is go digital from the outset, then the, the longer you prolong the pain. It's indisputably right that brokers simply want to send emails. I mean, they just, they want ultimately to preserve their place in the value chain and understandably, because I'm exactly the same, want to do as little work as possible and get as maximum amount of reward for it. That's sort of human nature. But you know that is a religious war that goes on now. Do you go? Do you encourage digital trading and digital adoption by making it easy and get partial reward, or do you try and be more purist about it, go the whole hog? This is the, an article I wrote earlier in the month about: Do you go data first, or do you go document first? Ultimately, with still predominantly documents on emails that we turn into data rather than originating things in data. Ultimately, you know, if it's moving us slowly along the journey, it's fine by me. But, uh, but it'd be too late for me by the time we finally get there at this pace. The reality is, I and mean, you see this on the technology offerings, if a solution is not, and they sometimes say it's 10 times better 
people just don't switch. I mean, at some point, of course, they're forced to switch. They will switch, but sort of voluntarily switch. And then, of course, you've got this whole technology adoption curve where you get the the early adopters who are literally on the bleeding edge, love new technology, will kind of work at it. And then you get the other extreme, you get the late majority who basically say, well, let everybody else figure it out. And once you've all figured it out and made it nice and easy to use, I'll come on board. And you, you can't avoid that. You can make you can move through it more quickly by well-designed technology, but you shouldn't give up on it. I think that's a neat link to our uh, recent event with the risk managers and the chance we had to bring the risk managers and the insure tech community together. And one of my, I thought the key features of that was that slightly the same clash. And, uh, you know, you have the likes of Alison Gwynlaven there from Google. You know, they're not hamstrung by legacy. They've created vast amounts of data. They operate fundamentally in the cloud. They have a really deep um, understanding of their risk. And at some point, when they seek risk transfer opportunities, they're passing that data out into the insurance world. And of course, in, in the world in which there's now this vast gap in the quality and the amount of the data that is available versus the amount of the data that the insurance industry can use wedded to this old partial legacy model. And that really brought home to me this this sort of twin speed thing that's going on, where the industry at some point has to decide what it wants to do with the fact that there is much, much more data than it can possibly make use of, where it's relying on legacy systems and, and the current way of underwriting. I mean, these are all, I think, functions of the same thing. You know, do you make it easy or do you have some level, you have to have some form of big bang where you're understanding and your ability to use data is is sort of fundamentally re-engineered i, I mean you know, i'm not saying there are winners losing that but I, the risk management thing really brought it home to me how much more understanding of their risk almost real time very dynamic that risk managers have versus the understanding that the un, that the insurance community accepts or it needs as part of its job in the transfer and pricing of risk yeah I mean, it's such a great event if i say so myself uh, of course, you've got our secret weapon, Susie, our events manager, was events manager for Airmic or events director. So uh, she's got a great network there. And we just had some, I mean, there's just brilliant people on stage. And, and poor Alison Quinlavin thought she'd signed up to be in the audience. And she very kindly accepted our, our request to have her on stage. And of course, that was fascinating. But And then Chloe from Landsec, who's also was really interesting because they're essentially building and investing in properties around the world. And her comment was, We've got all this data. First of all, I want to find a place I can put it all in where I can go and retrieve it. And then secondly was, well, the insurers are asking for data, but I've got no idea what they're doing with it. And that's to me, is just extraordinary today that, that those two things aren't connected. So there's so much good analytics and data now going on in insurance. It's still not yet making its way into the corporate risk manager world. And that was kind of partly our role for doing that. That is changing. But also, you know, between you and I, Robin, what... what what are the brokers doing? I mean, the brokers are working for these massive companies. They're going to be paid a lot of money to place the risks. They've got insurers that we know are desperately keen to get data. I just find it so surprising today that a you know, a well-informed, articulate risk manager is still wondering why they're collecting all this data and what's happening with it. I mean, something's something's wrong that it, that shouldn't be wrong, to my mind. Particularly, you know, I've better be too critical of anybody, but these are big clients paying vast amounts of money, right? I mean, you, you in any other world, you would bend over backwards to ensure your major and your most important clients were being serviced. And that. But my other uh, takeaway from that, and I think this is a 
where, where the two worlds meet and is rich vein for us, is that most of those risk managers mentioned the word sustainability at some point. Those risk managers all are tasked with both ensuring that they are uh, transferring their risks and uh, conducting their insurance in sustainable ways, but also they, they have a, a broader sustainability obligation in the um, framework somewhere. But I'm just greatly intrigued by that. I think that's an area where insure tech or startups or innovation has a big role to play. And, I, and I, what really pleased me about that event was how many of the issues that were identified by risk managers are issues where there are startups and there are solutions and there are people we know who have um, potential solutions for those. And I, I think we've greatly underexplored collectively the ability for the community you and I work with to help risk managers as what it is they do in their day jobs. I think that's untapped potential for us. Hugely. Well, we are doing another event. So anybody out there who fancies sponsoring another excellent event uh, with some great guests, because we know we're going to be able to do it, now's, now's a chance to uh, let us know before we, we wrap those ones up. And then, Robin, we can't mention Google uh, without mentioning our our New York trip. Now, another highlight for you, thank you very much, Nigel Walsh, was the quality of the wine. But there was a bit more to it than that when we did our event with Google Cloud uh, in, in New York, wasn't there? Well, yeah, two things, really. Yeah, I think I'm sure we could put this out. But I walked into that room to help prepare with Nigel. And the very kind lady who was organising the event for Google said, you do realise you've split your pants, sir. And I said, no, I've got no idea. Anyway, somewhere during the course of the day, I'd got a... 15 centimeter rip in my trousers which i could do absolutely nothing about so uh i was sort of a bit glum at that point i think i was going to have to have to bluff this out and then i see nigel's or the google wine selections you know whispering angel for the rose they had some extraordinary feluga italian pinot grigio from up in the collio somewhere and then a top rate chianti reserva so it was suddenly my Trousers became largely irrelevant, and I I tucked in, and and uh, I mean that just wasn't the only reason there was a good event. It, there was a very good turnout there, and 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 I, I really enjoyed it. Nigel was very kind enough to say afterwards that was a great success, and we'd like to do it again next year. And I I I mean I'm I'm in. I think we could do something bigger and better, and it was most enjoyable to get out on the road. What was your view of it? Well, I what view, your view of your trousers? Well, I probably saw more of them than you did because they was they were in in the rear. But I, I did also hear a rumor that actually Google has got has got a uh, and I bet this is true actually because if they can give you a in house massage, they can do this. They've got a team that actually are on standby to to actually sew up your trousers. And uh, I don't know whether they just knocked off the night early, but but apparently we actually could have got your trousers sewn up. But I think you just decided you had to stay in the stay in the action and just keep going so good for you it was uh, that was that was a great event we had close to 200 people i think that was an option but but for the time available the only option they offered me was masking tape and the idea being that i would put masking tape over the but i i thought that was the, that was even worse than it probably was so how did you see it i mean we had a very, a very good two or three days in new york you were out and about met a lot of people yeah we both did well i mean many thanks to todd Russell for me to value for not just putting on the boat trip, but persevering when we could we got sort of caught up in those Canadian wildfires. I mean, I guess we were sort of living the life of what it's like to be in proximity to serious hazards. So that was a day that the, sort of the sky went bright orange and, and we did a, an excellent boat trip. And I rumor had it, he even had you a special bottle of wine put to one side. We all be know this so well, but it's just a reminder that 
the face those face-to-face events, particularly if you've got people captured on a boat that's going around Manhattan and they can't escape, are just tremendous. So we had that. Thank you for that, Todd. And then, of course, there was the InsurTex Insight event. I walked in the door, and I, I think for eight hours, I just basically walked around in circles, bumping into people. Yeah, the people we sort of talk to but don't always see in the US, the people we see in London who are over there. And again, you just learn so much in those sort of concentrated moments that it was just so nice being at an event and it being someone's event, else's event. And, and I mean, thank you again to Susie for organizing our events so well. We don't really worry about what's going on there, but just to be able to be a, to be a passenger at someone else's event was very relaxing. Talking of events, we, we got our own events scheduled for the rest of the year. That kicks off uh, on, I think, September the 19th after our August break. Uh, you're organizing that one. What's on the agenda? Who's sponsoring? What can we expect? Well, it's going to be another great event, of course. And thank you to Saitora and Juan de Castro for that. So it's oh going to be all sorts of stuff. So we're going to be doing a live podcast for Saitora. We've now opened up a special slot. This has to have a name, but essentially the long version of this is if you're an Instec member uh, or got a really interesting story to tell and you're coming in from outside of the US, we've kept a slot open for you. Slot, I'm sure there's a kind of quicker version of that. We've got something quite clever lined up that I won't give away right now when we're going to be showing some examples of what it means to truly make life easier, which is come back to one of our themes. And then it's back on that that whole ecosystem one. So yeah, Saitora have are racing ahead now in helping underwriters, you know, some big name companies like Allianz are going to be on stage, as well as some smaller companies. Essentially, it's just make life easier for the underwriters. So risks are coming in in all shapes and forms, as we know, what Saitora is doing is figuring out which ones should just be immediately declined, which ones should be which should be underwritten and renewed as before, and which ones need to be escalated for an underwriter to review them. That was my 15-second version, but we're going to spend half an hour exploring that, exploring some of the partners they're working with. And then I think, Robin, you've now we've now basically designed a, uh, a role for you, which seems to work really well, which is sort of Robin's wrap-up with some industry figures. So we, we bring somebody along to reflect on what we've learned today, and actually, you know, because it's you give us a bit of honesty around it and just remind us that sometimes things aren't as easy as they might be. And so it's coming together coming together very nicely and uh, definitely recommend that for anybody that uh, wants to come along. Half past four, doors open. You can get away anytime, but you can join us through until seven o'clock or eight o'clock or even later in the evening if you want to hang around and meet everybody. I think if I was to identify the two things that are the hottest topics in all our conversations with our members then the topic for that event is the second i'll come to the top topic in a minute but the number of conversations we have now which fall under the broader category of making underwriters lives easier you know not to some extent that's what much of uh insurtech's always been about but that's the real focus right now underwriter workbenches other forms of integration and easier access to data just the ability to ensure that the right information is getting to the underwriter in the right formats at the right time for them to make much quicker decisions and to spend much less time finding the data uh, going through regulatory hoops and so on that's the focus of so so much investment and, you know, to some extent, it'll be digital lipstick on a legacy pig. It doesn't matter, but it's money well spent. If the end result is you're getting more out of productivity out of your underwriters and they are selecting risks better, that's why not spend your money there, you know? Yeah, but and also a reminder that we've actually re, 
I think branding is probably too strong a word, but we've redefined that category because as we look at all the content we're creating, we've been working hard to make it easier for people to find content related to different topics. We used to call it underwriting innovation or innovation in underwriting. We're now just going to rephrase it again, not totally finalized. Sam, you still got a chance to <laughs> refine it. But something along the lines of making life easier for underwriters. Just, just call it what it is and don't get people too scared off because of the word innovation in there. It's actually just how do you let the underwriters do what they do best, which is underwrite. So, yeah, it, so if that's the second biggest one. Uh, I'm sure anybody, anybody who's been looking at anything in the last six months knows what's coming next as the most uh, topical area of interest that people are wondering what's going to happen next in so come on we've managed to avoid talking about it up until now but what's going on yeah well i've got to we've got to say generative ai now haven't we i don't think i've had a conversation where it hasn't come up at some form of an or another difficult one for us this one i think we decided some time ago that we weren't going to spend uh, a lot of time sort of following on from other punditry we wanted to find out what was really going on in the marketplace to talk to insurers and to sort of provide some insight into where they saw the opportunities, the use cases, who was doing what. You know, there's a lot of interest from the insurance community in what their peers are doing. But that's proved really tough. I mean, it seems to my, my analysis, you know, trite that it is, is that the insurer world falls into two camps. One where at some point in the last two or three months there's been some massively embarrassing, possibly gone viral incident involving their employees and they've turned chat gpt off and nobody's allowed to use it uh, and they're certainly not going to talk about it to anybody the other end of the spectrum insurers getting really excited about it set up labs provided very intelligent people with decent budgets to go and work out how it's going to increase productivity in their businesses and and they see understandably huge differentiation competitive advantage from it and the last thing they're going to do is tell us in any detail how they are using it and, and what benefits they're getting from it so it's an area where it's quite difficult to do what we what the role that we like to play which is to sort of find out what's going on and play that back to the community to the general good this is an area which i think we're finding harder to be in to provide intelligence about than anything else for a while but we've got a newsletter coming up so uh, yes it's hard to tell people what's going on, but even just what you said is quite important. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day who works for an insurance company that's essentially banned the use of chat GPT at work. And he, and it's, he, says, he said for him, it's like, it's a disaster because in his role, he's researching into catastrophes and yeah, it's so critical and he just can't do his job now. He feels like he's got one hand behind his, tied behind his back. And I, there's a few things I'm seeing. So one is that I feel that the, one of these cases is really strong for generative eyes when you pointed at your own data or data people quite there's different things like behind a wall garden or it's your curated data so you're not exposed to all the kind of you know, the craziness and hallucinations that go on if you go everything that's out there and that's a little bit safer so i think that's that's one thing we're seeing and i, and I think it's a bit safer for insurers in there and i also just would recommend anybody that wants to test that really to look at and, and personally how can you benefit it from it. and you know, one example i've been looking at is is from coding i, I mean i lasted coding about 35 years ago, and I did my engineering degree, but I've been just poking around with Python code to see what really happens. And it's quite extraordinary what chat GPT can do with code. And it and I was quite humbled because I was thought I'd listened to a program that does something as important in life as generating a random number and you've got to guess it. And it was like 40 lines of code. And I said to chat GPT, well, it got stuck. And I said, what do you think? Why have I gone wrong? And it came back and chat GPT said, well, first of all, I'm going to refactor it, which basically means rewrite it. And it wrote it in two lines. 
and then it fixed it and it worked. So it's completely different than you know thinking about university students creating essays or other things. It's a completely different application and it is quite extraordinary how that works. And you can see how that whole world of data science and and uh, people that you know charging vast amounts of money to be data scientists they've got to move fast because there's a whole new area coming isn't there Ron, which we've been talking about of skills now when you're using chat gpt so just uh for anybody looking at their next career what would you recommend them to do if they're starting to get their uh, generative ai or chat gpt skills i mean this may be a broadly used expression but i heard it only a couple of weeks ago i really like it people are calling what you're you know the sort of public use uh the students doing their essays as pop gpt you know, a, a sort of that's sort of popular usage, a sort of uh, in the same way as you know, pop music is, you know, fashionable, broad, a broad appeal. I think it takes so much of the potential. It it, det- it detracts from what's really going on. I mean, you know, internally we're now building you know really cool things. I'm, I'm watching Henry at work building bots that will help us keep our database up to date and so on. I can't help thinking that the whole thing it turns around learning the quality of prompt, uh, prompt, and pro. You're going to do. You're going to have to do this. Prompt engineering. You, don't you need to? Ultimately, everybody is trying to work out what's the right question to ask, and therefore, and how you ask that question in a way that you can get the bots to properly understand. Isn't that, I think, isn't that what we're learning now? I don't know. I, I feel like yeah, that's where absolutely. we are internally. I mean, absolutely. So, and actually, it's also a good test of how, how good they are because, you, and actually, what's quite clever with ChatGPT is it remembers what questions you've asked before, so it'll refer back to your question. And you can be quite, you can be quite rude to it. And uh, But you have to give it examples. It's like teaching a really, really bright, I don't know, seven or eight-year-old. You have to say, you know, this is how I want it to look tell me and it will still get it wrong so yeah that is a skill of the future is how do you upload data how do you ask intelligent questions how do you filter out the stuff that's not true the what's interesting is chat gpt4 or chat gpt plus i think if you're going to be if you're accessing it as a normal person is it can now handle data as well so so the big difference and this is where i think it's also particularly exciting is up until now it's sort of been creating words but now you can point it and this is something that inverse are doing you could point your version of generative ai which might be chat gpt or, or something else at for example a company's annual report and you can ask it to go and come back and give you a report on for example what was the compound annual growth rate over five years for revenue and the, it'll actually go and find the data and create a graph for you which is a, a whole different way of thinking about things and we know from doing our reports people really want to have the data you and i around when the internet boom happened and we were probably both as cynical as each other when you go i know this is going to be great but a lot of these ideas are rubbish and they're being overfunded and i think that's what's happening just now it's a a really good idea but but you've got to be really quite thoughtful about how fast things move and and what you back and what you get back because it's it's, a lot of it's going to be nonsense yes (laughs) there's some nonsense and there's some stuff that is searingly brilliant uh, thank you for Ruth Polyblank for this. She sent it to me yesterday. Uh, she asked ChatGPT, what is the value and stroke benefits of an Intertech membership? And this is slightly paraphrased what it says. Um, so this is what it says. Being a member of the Intertech community can bring numerous benefits and opportunities. The community consists of individuals, startups, established insurance companies, technology providers, investors, and other stakeholders focused on leveraging technology to innovate and transform the insurance industry. 
Here are some of the key values of being a part of the community. Innovation network, knowledge sharing, problem solving, industry exposure, thought leadership, regulatory insights, adoption of new technologies, and a positive impact. And this is the best bit. This is my message to you all. Finishes by saying, remember that the value you derive from being a member of the Instech community largely depends on your level of engagement and active participation. It's not just about being a passive observer, but actively contributing and collaborating with others to drive meaningful change in the insurance industry. ChatGPT, absolute genius. Nailed it. I don't know, someone's been training. You've probably been training it, have you, for hours, so it comes up with the right answer. Don't need to. That's brilliant. I mean, it's been reading, listening to all the podcasts, because that's what it can do. And that's you just have to listen to the end of everybody else's podcast, and that's virtually what they say. So thank you, Ruth, for that. That you know, I don't think we need to do anything else. Maybe... That's probably a good place to draw it to a close, Robin, let you get back to uh, back to the cricket and wrap up Friday. Tea time coming soon. Cricket, tea, cake, Friday afternoon. What's not to like? Great. I think we're done. Knock that down to 35 minutes. Take out the rubbish bits. We'll have a... That'll be a good podcast. Mm-hmm.